Oh my goodness. My sermon title today, Swing and a Miss. Being in Cincinnati, we understand that phrase. <laughs> Did you watch the game last night? You know, I watched the game before that when we won like 19 to two. And then last night, it was the same game almost, except that they scored all the points. And our guys made the sermon come true. <laughs> Swing and a miss. They scored, I think, six or seven runs before it was over, but they scored like 13 or 15 or whatever it was. Oh my gosh. We have the best laid plans. We know what we're supposed to do. We get the the guidance from the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we are ready to do it. And then, swing and a miss. Something happens, and we don't. Or things change, and we can't. Sometimes it's not your fault. Sometimes it's the situation around you keeps you from doing what you think you should be doing. But it's always a little bit... You watch those batters walk away from home plate and nobody's happy that they struck out. Funny thing, no one is ever excited about striking out. But it's how it goes. Today we're going to be looking at a passage that was introduced with last week's sermon. Spent the whole chapter in chapter 21 just setting the story, setting the stage for the sermon he's going to give at the first part of chapter 22. So let me go back even further. Let me start you in the 19th chapter in the 21st verse where he's just talking, I must go to Rome. I must visit Rome. Everybody was trying to tell him not to go in his spirit. The Holy Spirit was telling him, there's going to be trouble if you go to Jerusalem. All his friends were saying, you got to go to Jerusalem. Paul was like, I need to go to Rome. But I need to go to Jerusalem first. We have this offering that the Gentile churches had collected for the church back in Jerusalem. They had to deliver that. But he just felt strong about going to Jerusalem first. But then, according to Paul's plan in his head, he wants to eventually go to Spain. And he even writes a letter to the church in Rome. He's never been there, but he writes him a letter, and it's a great theological laying out, understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And he sends that, I think he wrote that probably from like Corinth or somewhere in his third journey. He's going to go to Spain by way of Rome, visit there, and that was his plan. When he got to Jerusalem, how he's going to get to Rome is the first thing that changed. The next thing that changes, as we'll unpack over the next few weeks, is that he never gets to Spain. Rome is where it is. There is a must, I must visit Rome. There is a must in every divine calling. There's a faith of a mighty destiny that this calls on us and assures us of victory. And if you've got a calling, you know there's going to be victory somehow in this. 
the calling here is a missionary calling that he's expressing. But it's not just to relocate. It's not about, I'm going from this place to that place. But the calling was not just to go to Rome. Paul's calling is to go and do. And the do is the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the real calling is the gospel. And it just might entail a change of location along the way. But if you're called to go somewhere, it's to go there to do the presentation of the gospel. That's the calling. The calling is not the travel log. 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul makes this statement. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. May that be your sentiment as well. May you understand the importance of the gospel in your job to go ye therefore and preach the gospel. Otherwise, woe is me. Let's pray. Father, help us walk through these passages of Scripture. Help us to see your hand guiding and moving and, and encouraging us and holding us up. Father, let us know your strength. Let us know your boldness. Let us know your power. But Father, let us also know that no matter what happens, we will be obedient and we will go. We will do what you set before us to do. Father, let that be our heart as it was Paul's. Give us encouragement from the reading today in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in last week's passage, in verses 39 through 40, right at the end of chapter 21, Paul's being questioned by the Roman guard who's trying to figure out who he is. He doesn't really even know who he is. He just knows these Jewish people have been beating on him and all this stuff and causing a ruckus. And so he was just trying to break up the ruckus. And he grabs Paul out of the crowd and he drags him up the steps to put him in jail. They have this conversation and he says, aren't you this guy who created a riot? And yeah, no, I'm not him. This is what Paul says. Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. And having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. And when they were all silent, he said to them, in Aramaic. And at this point, you have to see where Paul saw an opportunity. He's, he stood at the top of the steps going into the garrison that was right off the temple area where the Roman soldiers were stationed. And there was a jail there that they could keep people in. And he's just about to go in and he sees this opportunity to what? To speak to all these Jews. This is why he's come back, not just to bring the offering. They received that with greatness and all this. Not just to tell of the story of, this is what I've been doing out on these journeys with all the Gentiles and all this stuff. No, he came back to bring, once again, the gospel message to the Jews. But a fuller gospel message. We talked last week about how the Jews that the church in Jerusalem 
have watered down their faith in Jesus Christ by trying to make it still match the Jewish observances and still do the new thing with Jesus and still do the things with the law and still do the new thing with Jesus. And they would go back and forth so much, they just intermingled them and it weakened them as the Jerusalem church. And so Paul is gonna get a chance now at the top of the stairs with the Roman over his shoulder and this crowd of angry Jews down below him, he sees an opportunity to do exactly what God has been asking him to do, putting on his heart to do. And this was his chance and he took it. Your chance may come just like that. Your chance to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about, you know, just going through, here's my testimony, here's how I got saved when I was 12. And it, no, just to talk about who Jesus is to you, what he's done in your life, which is the primary thing is to save you from your sins, to give you a right relationship to God. You don't know when that chance might come up. We have guys who go out and visit knock on doors and create the chance to share Christ with people. And they're great at it and faithful. I got, a, I got a book from Doug yesterday of all the places that he had been out visiting with. But sometimes these chances just pop up. It might be the person who checks you out at the grocery or it might be your neighbor standing out in the front yard when you walk out to go somewhere. It might be you never know where it might be. But when you see your chance, when you get that little nudge from the Holy Spirit, this is what we're talking about here. Now's your chance. Do your work for the Lord. And he took the chance. Now, I get it. It's a challenge for a lot of us, uh, especially when it's unexpected. And all of a sudden, that thought creeps into your mind. Maybe I should share with this person whatever that's going to mean. And then you kind of push it back like, oh no, not now. I don't have my Bible with me. Okay? Here and here, it should be with you all the time. Oh, not now. I'm in a hurry. I got to go. To... Really, is it that big of a deal? Are you giving a kidney, you know, something that just really can't wait? We, we come up real quickly and we're just nervous about it. But the only... If we take the chance and we're nervous about it, it's because we haven't taken that chance often enough. Practice helps. If you start to share your faith with someone, just go ahead and share a little bit. Next time maybe you'll share a little bit more. Maybe next time you'll share a little bit more. Maybe next time you'll be a little easier about it in your heart. And you won't be quite as nervous. Are you always going to have a little fear? Yes, I still do. It's an important task. I hope I'm always going to be a little nervous about sharing my faith with someone because I'm handling something so precious that God has given me and I'm offering to someone else. This is of great value. I should respect that. But I need to be more familiar with it by practice. So just, you know, step out there more and more and you'll become more accustomed to it. 
This was a conscious decision that Paul made, not at the top of the stairs. This was a conscious decision that he made long before that, that I'm going to take every opportunity that I get to share who Jesus is, what he's done in my life. And this is one of the several times in this book that we hear this story. But I'm going to, I'm going to share this. I'm going to make this decision before I get there. And we know that the Jewish people were on his heart tremendously. We know that he cared a lot for his Jewish brothers, sisters, because they were the chosen people of God. And here, before him, he had the temple leaders, he had the Jewish congregation, maybe even the high priest was in there. He had this group that he loved so much, and he's going to take the chance. Now, the crowd had accused Paul of teaching against the Jewish people. This is what got him riled up so much in the first place. You're not teaching the law. You're not holding up the temple. And even though he went through this whole vow thing we talked about last week with the four young Jewish men, because Paul didn't have a problem with doing, observing things of the Jewish traditions, he just never, ever, ever let them take the place of salvation through Jesus Christ. If I can do something to help me be more obedient and more ready in my walk to follow God, I should do that. But I should never let anything come between me and the proclamation of the gospel or me even understanding that it's the gospel. And these Jewish people were doing that. He was not about to address the charges against him. When the soldier turned him around and he said, can I talk to the people? And he asked the soldier in Greek, which kind of made the soldier think, oh, this guy's an educated guy. He's not just a rabble rouser. But when he turned around and started talking to him in Aramaic, that was kind of different. And he, he thought maybe the soldier was going to, he's going to defend himself. He's going to like try to calm them down, try to, you know, extinguish their fears, whatever, so they wouldn't be mad at him. No, this is the difference. He's going to defend himself, but by telling his story of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave no defense at all when they drug him before the Jewish leaders, before the Romans, back to the Jewish leaders. He never gave any defense at all. So Paul is there, but the situation was different. What Paul was about to do and what Jesus was about to do, totally different. Jesus was not going to change anything, not going to delay anything. Paul's like, I've got so much work to do with you people. I'll get started now. Let me explain to you what's going on. He probably knew that it was his time for this opportunity, but there would be more times for him to give his explanation of Christ. So now we're going to get to Acts chapter 2. Ready? We're ready for the verses for the day, uh, some of them. The first five verses in chapter 22, we're going to build a bridge as he's talking, he's going to build a bridge with these people. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And the word there in the Greek, in the Aramaic, is my apology, my explanation. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Oh, he's one of us. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. In Jerusalem, 
Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. This is how he begins his story. He's establishing a commonality between he and his listeners. And he's, he's letting them know, my commitment to being Jewish has not changed. I was born Jewish, raised Jewish by some of the finest teachers. And man, I'm, I'm real life. I'm probably more Jewish than you are. But... I'm not saying that to be born in a Jewish family makes you perfect. To follow Jesus does. I'm not saying to you to be born and raised in a Christian family makes you saved. The tired old preacher line is, just because you're standing in the garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you're sitting in the church doesn't make you a Christian. We... And he was, he said, I'm, I'm educated by Gamaliel, you know, and all the people recognized that name, great teacher in Jerusalem in that day. And they were like all impressed with his education. That'd be like me saying, now I'm Dr. Ken Dillard. I have a degree. I got paper. But he wasn't saying that even a good education is what saves you. He's going to go on to say this in 6 through 16. Not only did he build the bridge, now he's going to work his way across it. But it happened that I was on my way approaching Damascus. About noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. Those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but they did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. You got a job. Go get it. But since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And a certain man, Ananias, a man who was devout by the standard of the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing near me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very time I looked up at him and he said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to all men of what you have seen and heard. Now, why do you delay? Get up, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Jesus will remind Paul that he didn't persecute the church. Saul, what Paul originally was called, Saul persecuted Jesus. Hmm. I don't really want to look at my life like that. I want to sin against 
you know, the church, I want to sin against my brother, I want to sin against... I don't really want to sin against Jesus. But that's the reality. I can't sin against you, church family. I can't sin against my wife. I can't sin against anyone. I sin against Jesus. That's the bottom line. It will affect other people. It will impact. It will have consequences that will touch other people. But my sin, just like Paul's, is against Jesus. And Paul's repentance, a little bit at first, it's incomplete. What have I done here? You've persecuted me. And he needs to include, so what shall we do? We do not need to be hampered in our pursuit of God by our past. Before we accepted Christ, we think about, well, this is how my life was, and that doesn't need to hold us down. Jesus never said that Paul had to do any kind of penance, any kind of makeup work. He just began to tell Paul, this is what you need to do. It's over and gone. The past is forgotten. He's a new creature through salvation. Now Jesus reveals himself. How he reveals himself to you is important. How you see Jesus defines your relationship with Jesus. How Jesus comes to you, how he introduces himself to you, how you realize this is Jesus. This defines your relationship. Both in how your relationship with him began and also how you observe that relationship today. You look at how Jesus came to you. You can tell your story of faith in Jesus. To anyone, to everyone, please do. It can be about your conversion experience, but it can also be about what Jesus is doing in your life right now. Who is God to you? This is the question I asked this brother a while back, and he came and he shared with you who God is with you. Now I've got another guy that's going to come up here and share who God is with him. This is Brian. Brian's responsible for making me look good on the internet. That's a hard task. So, while we were learning in the book of Nehemiah, we learned to be thankful in the Lord. And that really impacted me deeply because in the fall of 2018, I almost took my life. And I thought there was nothing left for me. And I'm thankful that God didn't let me do it. He gave me the wherewithal to keep going. So to me, God is courage, strength, and compassion. Because without those, I wouldn't be here to witness all the amazing things that he's put in front of me today. Thank you. Who is God to you? You have to give that focus, that finite appreciation and understanding 
and how he comes to you, how you first meet Jesus is a great defining moment for the rest of your walk with him. Now, when he was presenting, he established common ground. I'm a Jew just like you. I'm, in fact, I may be like super Jew because of all my background and everything. But even more than that, he was starting to say about Ananias. Ananias, a devout Jew, you know, he had, like a man that you guys know, respect, keeps all the stuff. He's the one that came to me and told me this stuff. Great question to ask God anytime is, what should I do, Lord? Get up and go to the city. You'll be met by a person. He'll tell you there what you're supposed to do. You should be asking. Each of you should be asking. Because each of you will fulfill the part of God's plan that he has for you. Right now, today, in your current situation in life, in your current health, in your current age, in your current employment, in your current neighborhood, wherever, you are the person that God can choose to use. You need to first ask him, what are we going to do today, God? Always be asking, what do you want me to do? The thing of it is, sometimes when we ask God, he doesn't answer just right off, does he? Lord, what should I do? And you wait, and you wait. It's not that God doesn't want to answer you, but God knows something else needs to happen first. The thing that he's asking me to do, maybe he's going to send Teresa in before I get there, and she's going to do something and prepare the way a little bit. And then maybe Eric's going to go in there and do something and prepare the way a little bit. And then by the time I get there, I'm just preparing the way for Christ to come into their life. Or maybe I'm preparing the way for the next person, for Eric to knock on their door and share the Christ that he loves so much with them. But the question that we should ask is, God, what should I do? And then let him lead us, let him move us, let him take us. And you don't need all the answers up front. When Abraham, you know, was first talking to God way, way back in Genesis, it's like, hey, Abram, wake up. Go to a land that I'll show you. Take your family, pack your stuff, get in the Winnebago and go. And it's like, okay. You know, I've always wanted to do that vacation. Just not plan just get in the car, pick a direction by like random and go that direction. Just go and see what's out there. I can't afford that. I, I can't do that. I'm, I'm a planner. I want to know more. I want more answers. I want more precise definitions of where I'm supposed to go and what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes you don't get that from God. God might just say, are you ready to go? And you have to be answering truthfully with God, because he knows. Then maybe he reveals the next step and the next step and the next step. If he told you the final step right off the bat, 
you'd probably skip some steps between here and there and not get them done. Or you'd be so terrified, I cannot see myself ever doing, you know, and you wouldn't go at all. God just takes us along, holds us by the hand, and leads us daily. So we have to be asking every day, what do you want me to do, God? And sometimes <laughs> you might even need someone to speak into your life. Lord, I'm waiting for a word from you. What is that going to be like? Thunder? Is that going to be the handwriting on the wall? Or is it going to be someone just speaking into your life? Wow, why would they say that to me right now? How did they know I was thinking about... Maybe the Lord will use someone else. Don't be afraid to talk about your faith with other people. That's what the body of Christ is all about. That's why we're family here. But you know, I don't know how it is in your family, but my family, they don't hesitate at all to tell me what my business is. <laughs> well, sometimes I need that though. Sometimes I need my family here to speak into my life. And if what they say connects with what I think I hear the Lord saying, that's just affirmation. That should just be emboldening to me to prepare me to do. All right, next section of verses, 17 through 21. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance and I saw him say to me, make haste and get up out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your witness Stephen was being shed, I also was standing by approving and watching out for the coats of those who were slaying him. And he, Jesus, said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. <coughs> okay. Paul was praying in the temple and he fell into a trance. I see you when you fall into your trance while I'm preaching. No, that's not it. He fell into a trance. Is this so far-fetched? Do we believe that Paul actually fell into a trance? Do we believe that if it happens in the Bible, it could happen today? Oh no, that's just Bible stuff. We don't fall into trances anymore, Ken. Well, Ken's about to get freaky on you, all right? I'm about to say some things that's going to make you scratch your head and wonder, why is this guy our pastor? Because I don't really know why, except I think God put me up here so I could tell you this. Yes, I think God can put you into a trance. I think he can put you. Don't you like to just kind of get somewhere and tune out everything around you? My backyard is my haven. I go sit in my backyard. I spent most of the afternoon mowing yesterday. I mowed my front yard, my backyard, the neighbor's front yard and backyard, the other neighbor's front yard. I just was in a mood to mow because that's my spiritual gift. But when I was done, I was tired and I got a big glass of tea and I went and sat on my patio and I just closed everything else out. Sometimes we quiet all the other voices 
And maybe that's when God speaks to us. Do we call it a trance? Do we call it a dream? Call it what you like. But you can be transported in your spirit from where things are not so great to where things are amazing in the presence of God. Think about the people in the Bible. You know, those Bible people that we're not always sure if they're real or not, but they are. People like Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, John, Paul, who said, I slipped into a trance. I had a dream. I saw the Savior. Paul is trying to relate to us and his hearers one of these moments in his spiritual walk. If you have one of these moments in your spiritual walk, it may be that you get to share that with someone. You can come share it with your pastor. I'm not going to think you're off your nut. I want to listen to see what God might be doing in your life. My mother told me once she had a vision. I know that Mary Kay's dad shares that once he heard the Lord speak to his heart directly, God wants to talk to you. Do you want to listen? Paul was praying and he slipped into a trance. In this part of Paul's story, he goes on into this and shares, you know, he's been sharing, I left from here, I went to do this, I saw this bright light, and the people around me didn't understand, they didn't understand the voice and all this, but I was blind and I heard a voice and they had to lead me out of there. I got to Ananias' house in Damascus. He was like, I'm this really good Jew and I think I'm on probably this guy's hit list, but I'm gonna go talk to him anyway. And he said, this is what the Lord told me to tell you. I can't help but think that Ananias said, this is what the Lord told me to tell you, here it is. Okay, I'm gone. <laughs> While you were still trying to get your vision back, I'm just gonna exit over here on the side. Because he didn't know about this guy Saul yet. When Saul left Jerusalem to go to Damascus, he was a champion for Judaism. When Saul returns to Jerusalem from this third missionary journey, he's a disciple of Jesus. When he left Jerusalem, he left with a heart of hate for the Christ. And when he returned, he was ready to die for his Savior. It was the same place, this temple, where he had gotten his marching orders to go and destroy the people of the way, those people who follow the Nazarene. It's that same place that he's in there praying and God speaks to him directly again. Hmm. Maybe the Jews listening might take all that he has said so far and they might respond this way. We understand your own change. We understand your new viewpoint. We understand the way you feel. But what does that have to do with your taking this stuff to the Gentiles? It's supposed to be this relationship to God that is all ours. I believe that God told me this directly, Paul would tell them. 
Your salvation did not come through anybody else. Your salvation came from God directly. As hard as it is for you to understand God's love for all people, Paul's going to say to the Jews, he loves the Gentiles too, but as hard as it is for you to understand God's love for all people, you have to understand that he loves you. Did you know that God's original plan was to be in relationship with you, right? He created you to know him, to walk with him, that he would love you as he created you. Our sin separated us. We go through this all the time. This is the gospel. That's not to blow it off. But let me just say, your sin that separated you, his love didn't stop. The Savior who came loved you enough to die for you. Now, Bible says that God loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that some other time. But the Father loves the Son. It's in print. It's right there. You can read it. But it also says, I think this is when John is relaying the passage where Jesus is doing that high priestly prayer. And he's saying, I know you love me, Father, but you gave me these people. And I love them. When you became a believer, let me tell you something that ought to just be a comfort to you. When you became a believer, when you accepted that God loved you enough to send His Son to pay for your sins so that you could be in that relationship that He originally planned for you, when you became a believer, you have to know how much God loves you. All that God loves the Son, you're in the Son now. It's not, and, and I think we say this correctly, but kind of incorrectly, I have Jesus in my heart. Actually, I'm now in Jesus. I'm in Jesus. And if I'm in Jesus and God loves Jesus, then God loves me and you in the same kind of love that He has for the only begotten Son. And you just need to rest in that. But I'm hurting. But I'm suspicious. But I'm doubtful. Rest in it. God loves you the very same love that He has for Jesus. It's hard to understand that sometimes. It was hard for the Jews. Here's the bad news. I hate it when a chapter, when a sermon has to end on. This is not the end of the chapter, but this is as far as we're going today. The Jewish people had, they had enjoyed their opportunity with God. The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 sons, the tribes, the growing, moving from here to there, amazing, you know, protection of God against the invaders and the enemies. When they were enslaved, he delivered them out of Egypt. He walked them through the Red Sea partying, sea, count the fish, all this kind of stuff. He walked them through that. They went into the new. They eventually wind up in the promised land. God provides. He runs out all the other people before them and all this kind of stuff, kind of, and because they're not totally obedient. But God just takes care of his chosen people. Blessed, protected, provided for. They could have said, stay here in Jerusalem. Tell us more. Alongside James and the church. Help us know this Savior even better. 
But they probably would have been thinking, because we should be first before the rest of the world. You should tell us this inside information you have before you tell anybody else. They just couldn't get it. Doesn't charity begin at home, Paul? Yeah, that's what he's been trying to do. That's what God's been trying to do for ages. But part B, the clause at the end of the first covenant that God made with Abraham is so that through you all the world will be blessed. All the world, that means the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, will be blessed. This is the plan from the beginning. So God tells Paul, leave Jerusalem. Leave it quickly. I'm going to send you far away to the Gentiles. They have heard your message. They have rejected your message, just like they have rejected me. Jesus instructed his disciples when he sent them out to to share with people that if they're received, go into the home, stay, bless the home and all that. If they are rejected from staying in a home, they're to like shake the dust off, literally shake the dust off their feet as they leave as a sign of being rejected. And that's kind of what he's telling Paul here. Go on, shake the dust off. They've made their choice. This is killing Paul. This is killing Paul. I must go to Jerusalem. Turns to I must go to Rome. And not the way I was planning on going to Rome, but he's going to wind up in chains to go to Rome. Not as a tourist. He's not on the tourist trail anymore. He's a captive of Jesus. The light of God has shone brightly for a time among a people. And when they reject or extinguish that light over and over and over, they are left in the darkness of their choosing. We see this happen around the world. We see countries that used to be the center of Christendom. We see peoples that used to be seemingly the favored people chosen of God to do God's bidding, and they're doing it. But they slowly begin to reject. They slowly begin to say, well, no, but, well, I've got, but, no. And eventually, you turn God down enough, and he's going to grant your wish. Leave me alone, God! What would you do if he did? What would you do if God listened to you in your anger on that day when it's a bad day, and you say to God, go away, leave me alone? One of my brothers just sharing in Bible study this morning, there was a time when I said, there is no God. And his wife straightened him out quick. She said, if you're going to believe that, I'm out. Wow. We can see this in world history, but we can see this attitude rising up even right here in our own nation. Watch the news. See how many things you can watch in one 30-minute or an hour newscast that seem to be going diametrically opposite of where Scripture would take you. And I'm not that, you know, I'm not that political pastor guy. That's, that's far from me. But I am not stupid, and I watch the news too. 
And I see our people turning their back on God in this way, in this way, in this way, in this way, and it is not going to end well for people who choose to turn their back on God. It seems to be God's way to give people an opportunity to know Him. But if it's not received, He'll withdraw. Oh, you need to get a hold of that in your heart. You need to get a hold of that in your heart. It is God's way to present Himself to anybody and everybody and to love them. But it is not His character to force Himself on anyone. And you tell God to go away enough, and He might just grant you that decision. It seems to be what's going on here. How long has God been merciful to you? How long has God protected you? How long has God revealed His truth to you over and over and over to be patient with you in your stubbornness and your disobedience? How long is God doing this? And you're not guaranteed of another breath. Leave me alone, God. We'll do this later. And we all know people who have no later. Some it was a long time getting there, but for some it was too sudden. They have no later. You're not guaranteed the continued offer of God's salvation. Not by His choosing, but by your choosing. He will not withdraw it by His own hand. You will withdraw it by your hand. This is what the Jews have done. Now we've got a lot more chapter to cover. We'll turn it over to Brandon and let him pick it up from there and go through, if he wants to do the rest of this chapter, it's, it's, there's some good stuff in there if he wants to jump into 23. But read the rest of chapter 22. See what is going on in the life of Paul and his pursuit of being faithful. My church, I want you to pursue God and I want you to be faithful. And I'm trying to do it too, right there with you. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice, okay? And be glad in it. You are loved with the love of your Father that He has for the very Son in whom you've placed yourself. If you are in Christ, you are loved that deeply by God. You need to really get a hold of that. But if you are pushing God away, pushing God away, pushing God away, you need to understand it happened to the chosen people of God. Don't let it happen to you. Father God, hear us this morning. Hear our hearts as we contemplate your word, as we see what you're doing. Help us to decide for you. Help us to reach out to you. Help us to make the choice for you, God. Help us to do, help us to do what Paul did and just say not only... Who are you, but where, am I, where are we going? What are we going to do when we get there? God, we love you and we need you. Lord, help us to figure those two things out right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?